Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is Gordon Melton. I'm the author of the uh, vampire book and the upcoming Vampire All in Act. And you are listening to Vampires and Slayers. I'm Ed Gross, and this is Vampires and Slayers, the podcast where we explore the world of the undead and those who want to return them to the grave in film, television, fiction, and legend. The big news for fans of Dark Shadows is the growing chance that the show will be returning to television, but not as a remake or reboot. Instead, as a continuation in the form of Dark Shadows Reincarnation. Originally developed by writer Mark B. Perry for The CW, that network ultimately passed, and while things have been quiet on the Collinwood front, Perry has been working behind the scenes, revising and honing the pilot script and series presentation, and he's expecting to take it out to networks and, more importantly, streaming services in the very near future. In this episode of the podcast, we're talking to Mark about the new show, what inspired it, and what he's hoping to achieve. And the good news is that he's a lifelong fan of DS and is bringing that passion to the project. Additionally, we're featuring part two of my conversation with Jonathan Frid, conducted some 40 years ago in his New York City apartment. As we noted the last time, the sound source is an ancient cassette tape, so we apologize for the quality. I got to tell you, it's it's very funny that I you know I read the interview you had done and, and reached out to you because I've started rewatching while I've been working on some book projects, uh, the original Dark Shadows. Me too. So there you go. Uh, and it's like, I don't know about you, but it's like I'm blown away by like especially these early episodes before everybody's a monster or some sort where it's so creepy and Frit is so good as Barnabas. Really good stuff. I also enjoy the first 209 episodes. I'm on my second watch through now. I got the coffin wow. set. Okay, good. And um, I'm up to, I'm still in the early, early stages. Uh, there's still a lot of talk about the bleeder valve from the, <laughs> from the brake cylinder. There you um, go. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting because they always said it went supernatural when Laura came in, but that's not true. There've been, I mean, there are hints of the supernatural at the very beginning. There are ghosts, right? Or no? Is well, it there's there's a lot of talk of ghosts, and there's okay. the mysterious sobbing that Victoria hears coming from the basement, and okay, you know, and there's talk of it being the jo- the ghost of Josette Collins, who was the first Mrs. Collins, and you're like, oh, that got retconned at some point. Yeah, <laughs> sure did. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> big time. Yeah, but yeah, I love the atmosphere in those early black and white episodes. Yeah, yeah, and it just abruptly. I just got to the point where it abruptly changed to color. Uh, I just literally passed those episodes. Just now I just got into them again. And it's just like, oh, no, no, go back to the black and white, please. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard there are fans who actually turn the color down on their TV and just watch the whole thing in black and white. That's too much. I actually like the color episodes. I like those. The the lighting on the show was unlike anything else on television in terms of video. Yeah. And, you know, they really tried to light it and make it atmospheric. And then they had that very specific color palette in the late 60s uh, with the with those acid greens and the blues. And there was like a a shade of burgundy and they would coordinate it between the set pieces and the costuming. Um, which I just always thought was really cool. I would love to try to 
emulate that somehow without you know going overboard but i'd love in in the the, the new show i would love to do something like that with yeah. a color palette. absolutely well and i guess part of that was right the color color thing was exploding at that point anyway on tv which is why batman did its thing with right with all those colors everywhere on batman, batman was the first show i ever saw in color we had a black oh, wow. and white tv for many years i don't remember what year we got a color set but i think i saw it at a friend's house actually and it was the first show i saw in color right but i would often watch uh dark shadows on the second tv in our house which was the the old black and white that was upstairs it was on a rolling cart that could i could take from my parents bedroom and put it in mine for you what what was the discovery process of dark shadows I, mean, I can remember the specific day i discovered that show and i'm wondering when you discovered it i was walking through the den in april of 1967 and my sister was watching something on our little black and white television set and I looked and I did a double take because there was a guy with a maniacal grin on his face un taking chains off of a coffin. And as I oh, stood wow. there riveted, he lifted the lid and the hand shot out and grabbed him by the throat. And I squeed and I said, what's this? <laughs> and my sister said, oh, it's something called Dark Shadows. And I started watching it after that and I was hooked. And it's, I think it's, it's kind of, funny for me that I actually discovered the show at the point they started syndicating it. So a lot of people discovered the show in the second and third and fourth iterations okay. um, at the same time with the, with the introduction of Barnabas. But I had never seen the first 200 until I bought the coffin box set. And I went back and I was fascinated to see how much had been planted and then changed and, um, Stories that were dropped, such as Victoria Winter's search for her. Yeah, I was parent. dropped like a hot potato. <laughs> um, that just kind of went away when it went, you know, full tilt supernatural. Yeah. But and then I I I was obsessed with the show. My mother knew the best way to get me to behave was to threaten to not let me watch Dark Shadows. Right. And so I was the best little boy in the world <laughs> as a result. And I in fourth grade. I wrote a one act play of Dark Shadows. Okay. And we performed it in the class and I directed it and played Barnabas. Of course. Um, uh, and that was, I, I don't know, my teachers were very indulgent, I guess. Um, then in fifth grade, uh, my obsession continued and I was reading the comic books and I had the two board games. Um, I, had, I was keeping a scrapbook. And then in fifth grade, Mrs. Johnson, the teacher, just stereotypical school marm, she had saved all of her husband's shirt cardboard from the cleaners. Okay. And she brought it in and she gave us all a piece of cardboard. And, uh, you know, we had our art supplies and she wanted us to make a three-dimensional object. So I very meticulously made a little coffin. Oh my God. <laughs> and on the lid, I penciled a little plaque and I put my name on it. Right. And Mrs. Johnson was walking up and down the aisles and the other kids were making little houses and churches and that kind of thing. And she got to my desk and she looked down and she saw what I was doing. And she said, now I grew up in the South. So uh, Mrs. Johnson said, um, Mark Perry, you are a morbid child. But it was the Dark Shadows influence. And of course, right. my friend, uh, he was Ricky Brown then. He's Rick Brown now. But we we were, he introduced me to famous monsters of Filmland. Right. 
And so I subscribed to that and became obsessed and was really delighted whenever Barnabas or other Dark Shadows characters like Carolyn would be on the cover. So, but that's how I got. And then I watched it on and off. I remember as I got a little older, I didn't watch it as often, but I do remember when I went back through and watched all 1225, a lot of things came back to me that I had forgotten. I went, oh, I did see this part. Right. But they canceled the show in Atlanta. The ABC affiliate in Atlanta canceled the show before ABC canceled the show. So all of a sudden it ended and I had no idea how it ended. You know, there was no internet, right? <laughs> no, nothing. Right. So I, um, I remember from one of the comic books or, or a fanzine or something, I, um, ordered an audio cassette that somebody had recorded off the air of the final episode. Right. Now I had no idea that it was in parallel time in 1841. Mm -hmm. So I had no clue what was going on when I listened to it. And then it got to that, you know, very tidy wrap up at the end, you know, there were no more dark shadows at Collinwood or whatever. It was the bite um, of an animal, right? <laughs> they, they were but I had complete cop out, but I had, I had no idea what it was all about. So I was kind of delighted when I actually got to watch through to the end. Oh yeah. So Absolutely. Now, did you discover it in its original run or was it yes. like this? So did I. Yeah. I mean, yes. it's, I, I mean, I don't want to bore you with my story, but because it's so similar in the sense of I came into our Brooklyn apartment, went into the closet, pulled out a baseball bat and I'm not a sports guy at all. My mother looked at me and said, you're playing baseball. And she got all excited. I said, no, I'm playing mighty might tour and I need a caveman's club to, to do it. So you could see the disappointment. She was crushed. But then as I turned, on the TV in the living room was a tavern and a shadow moving outside this tavern window. And it suddenly leaped into the place. I mean, off camera, of course, so they weren't going to spend that money. And it was a werewolf. And I dropped my baseball bat. I collapsed to my knees and I said, what's this? And my mother said, dark shadows. And that was it. So I missed all the early Barnabas stuff till years later. I mean, I never saw it until years later. Oh. I read well, about those it. Those episodes are great. When he first comes in. Oh, my God. So good. And he's Fred so, so good. good in those early episodes. Absolutely. You know, I uh, met him in the 80s. I was going to his apartment on Sundays. Uh, I was doing an interview with him and I was doing research for what I hoped would be a dark shadows book at the time. So I got to know him, you know, I mean, not super well, but enough where it's a couple of months of Sundays of us buying each other breakfast or lunch and hanging out and talking. And it's like, what an amazing opportunity uh, for really 23 great. or 24 year old kid. You know what I mean? It's just like, holy crap. <laughs> it's like, amazing. I never, even though I was a, a huge fan and uh, we had some friends who started a, a fanzine called Synagore. Okay. And uh, they asked me if I would write a history of dark shadows. And it was a, I wrote two installments, but this was when I was like 12 or 13. And I discovered the show. I was eight years old when I right. originally discovered the show. And it was, so a was I actually part of my adolescence. Yeah. So, yeah. And a huge influence. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> Here <laughs> I how, am. how do you yeah, right? Exactly. And how disgusting is the Barnabas Collins board game in retrospect? The winner gets to wear the fangs. And right. I don't know about you, but you finish, you win, and the next guy wins. So you go like this, you go. <laughs> and you hand it to him, and he just goes. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but I remember making those creepy crawly things, and I remember what they taste like. So, <laughs> oh god! <laughs> so the fangs was nothing to you. I think the fangs probably weren't that big an issue back we in the day. Didn't have germs back then. That's all. There were no germs. So good. <laughs> so, okay. So, so that's your discovery of dark shadows. You obviously do. You know, you get to the business, which I'll get into in the next. You know, when we talk about that part. What leads to this, though? I mean, what leads to the possibility even of Dark Shadows reincarnation? What do you mean? What leads to it? Well, I mean, what? how did you get involved, basically, in doing Dark Shadows? I mean, that's what I mean by what. It, how does it lead to? Because things were relatively quiet outside of that failed pilot uh, in the world of Dark Shadows and then that terrible Tim Burton movie. Uh, <laughs> but Well, you know, I actually sat down and started writing a reboot series in the 80s when I was trying to get into the business and I was writing spec scripts and I spec'd a, not to date myself, I spec'd a murder she wrote, which yeah. got me an agent. Um, and I uh, spec'd a Twilight Zone when it was revived on CBS. Mm -hmm. And then I had always been obsessed with Dark Shadows. And when I moved to L.A., it was on the UHF channel. And I started watching some of the old episodes again. And right around that time, you know, Star Trek Next Generation had exploded. And I started thinking, why isn't someone doing this for Dark Shadows? It's, it seems unnatural. Um, and so I sat down and I started writing before I realized, what am I doing? I don't have the rights. And I was also working on some other material at the time that sort of took over and I didn't explore getting the rights. And then I started on the Wonder Years, my first show. And then That's I got very busy <laughs> and one thing led to another. And I never revisited it until I, uh, I looked up and I thought, why am I not doing this now why am i not pursuing the rights i mean i could get the rights hopefully find out what the situation is and i've always wanted to visit the collins family present day to see what's going on at collinwood now right after all these years oh that was the start. okay and so and that's fine but then no i read that read online that you you connected with tracy curtis i believe Right. Or yes, through Amasia Entertainment, who have been uh, the most phenomenal producing partners I could ask for. They happen to have the rights because Tracy Mercer, who is my point person at Amasia, uh, was friends with Tracy Curtis because they had worked on the TV show Madam Secretary together. Okay. Tracy Curtis was an editor and Tracy Mercer was a producer and they became friends without ever connecting the fact that Tracy Curtis was Dan Curtis's daughter and Tracy Mercer was already a dark shadows fan. She discovered it on VHS cassettes mm -hmm. that her father turned her on to in, I think the eighties and um, or nineties, whenever, but she became a hardcore fan. And then they started talking and she, they finally realized that, Tracy Curtis was Dan Curtis's daughter and they said let's do something to honor our fathers and they started talking about reviving it now I didn't know anything about this I was chasing down the rights through my agents got in finally got in to pitch to Tracy Mercer at Amasia and it was one of the best pitches I've ever had and the original pitch for the show was 
like 35 minutes. I mean, it was a long pitch, but I had a flip book with visuals that I had photoshopped. um, And uh, she responded and then she got me into pitch to Tracy Curtis and the rest of her team. Uh, And I got, I got the blessing of the Curtis estate and they, they remain very enthusiastic about what I really want to do with the show in the present day. One of the things that thrills me about it is, I mean, I love Dark Shadows, obviously. I love Dan Curtis and what he did and all that stuff. But to know that they did the original series, then they did House of Dark Shadows, and it's the Barnabas story. And they do the 1991 primetime version, and it's the Barnabas story. And they did the uh, 2004 pilot, and it's the Barnabas story. It is so nice that you are not retelling everything we've already seen multiple times it's like rebooting Spider-Man three times in a decade and you got to see his origin three times of how he became Spider-Man, right? It make, makes you crazy. Everyone knows how he became Spider-Man. So to you, is that the great sort of fresh in, innovative thing about this is that you were able to take it in a whole new direction because of the fact that you were starting with the next generation, basically? Yes. Um, you know, I, as a fan of the show, I want to watch the show. I want to I want to see it, you know, expanded and reborn for today. Right. And I feel like I have seen the Barnabas story now four times. Yeah, it's a debt movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, Great. Yeah. yeah. Five, well, five House of Dark Shadows, Dark Shadows, uh, the 91, the, the Warner Brothers pilot, I guess five times. With, yeah. But that one doesn't count. That doesn't exist in my universe. <laughs> it's not part of Dark Shadows canon, certainly. So, no, no. Um, and I've seen that story, and it's been done really well in the past. And you know, the Barnabas Angelique Josette, greatest gothic horror love triangle ever, the best. It's such a great origin story, but it's been told, and I want to move on from that. There's a whole generation of of Collinses. I, I'm. One of the, I, I had the opportunity to actually do an elevator pitch. Um, you know, they always say, what's the elevator pitch, which is right. your really pithy version. And we were, I forget where we were, but we were in a, a, a high rise building and we had to go up to the conference room to do the pitch. And we got in the elevator with the executives that I was going to be pitching to. Right. And one of them turned to me and said, okay, perfect. What's the elevator pitch? And I said, it's a modern day Downton Abbey if it was written by Stephen King. Oh, nice. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's good. Did they look at you and go, that's good. <laughs> so uh, that's how I'm kind of picturing it. It's this wealthy family with supernatural issues, but it's a multi-generational family show. Um, but there's a supernatural twist to it. Right. It's And it's not a vampire show. Dark Shadows was not a vampire show. It had a lead character that was a vampire, and he certainly became one of the biggest presences on the show. But there were werewolves and witches and zombies and everything else. And I feel, right. you know, what, what I envision the show is continuing that tradition of it being a gothic horror romance ensemble show with the door is open for any kind of literary references or, you know, characters or creatures. And I like exploring, as I say in the pitch, Barnabas being the first vampire with a conscience, he let, he let us see the human side of being a monster. And so I'm really intrigued by what makes monsters human and humans monsters. So that's one of the things I'm exploring in, in the new series. 
Right. Absolutely. But now, you know, you know, there are going to be people who are saying they're already saying it. You got to have Barnabas. So there's no, you know, it's not dark shadows. Do you feel that that's accurate? I mean, I mean, because in my mind, I'll tell you the truth. And I don't know how you explain Barnabas 50 years later looking, you know, like Barnabas. Uh, he's smiling. <laughs> uh, but I don't I because I, I just wonder. I mean, it is tough to imagine doing dark shadows without at least Barnabas Collins. Well, can you imagine in this day and age showing up outside the, the mansion of a wealthy family and saying, I'm a cousin from England? You know, a quick Google search and you're out. You know? Yeah, yeah, right. I don't yeah, care absolutely. who you look like. Yeah. Um, portrait. Look at the portrait. Just like the portrait. Yeah. <laughs> I will tell you this. I'm, I'm, I do want to be cagey about this, but there are Easter eggs in the pilot mm-hmm. for fans of the show. And ultimately, I do not believe you can do Dark Shadows without Barnabas. I, I just think you're right. I mean, I just feel like that's, I mean, yes, Next Generation did it without all the Star Trek cast. I'll give you that. But I just feel like this particular property, you need that sort of centerpiece of Barnabas Collins being there, that vampire, that element of it. But like I said, I'm not doing a vampire show. That there doesn't matter if you're doing so show. many vampire shows right now. <laughs> They're enormously um, popular too, which is shocking. There's so much popularity with the genre. This is true. And mm-hmm. witness your podcast, for example. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, yeah. But it's like, and I started that only because it's like, I'm looking and it's like, like they've announced in the last couple of months, like 10 TV projects that are vampire related. It's like, what the Well, there's called? Anne Rice, Vampire Chronicles. Oh, yeah. And, oh, there's know, a Vampire Academy. Uh, so, but what I'm really... I really want to go to the roots of Dark Shadows and the the gothic horror and the gothic romance. Yeah. And the house on the, you know, I want to see, I want to see Collinwood on that cliff with the waves crashing below, you know, not just the same old stock shots from out, you know, that were used on the show, but really, you know, bring it to life and make it very cinematic and fun. Absolutely. And like, I remember I interviewed Sam Hall back in the eighties, I guess. And I just remember him telling me we had whole Rolodexes of stories. He told me we had Rolodexes of stories that we'd steal them all. It's like, all right, we're going through this. Dan would read something. He'd come and he goes, I just read this, steal it. (laughs) And turn it it into a storyline from Dark Shadows. I assume that you'll be, because you want to get back into the Gothic thing, you will be dipping back into some of these classic horror stories. Are you trying to make everything Yes, but I mean, I don't think we'll be doing the Frankenstein story, for example. Um, But yes, and, you know, the fun thing is there's a lot more stuff to lift from now. Yeah, there is. (laughs) You know, 50-something years later. I was going to say, so much more stuff is public domain. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) So there's that. But yes, I definitely want to honor that, we'll call it the literary tradition of, of Dark Shadows. Getting away, and I put that in quotes, from the CW, does that actually help the show because you're not sort of having to embrace that sort of younger demographic and, you know, we're going to hang out at a club and there's going to be music playing and you know what I mean? Definitely. Um, I had a great experience developing with CW. Gay Hirsch and her team were really great. Uh, They had smart notes. Obviously, they have a specific audience. And so there were things that I changed in the script to make it more um, marketable for their demographic. Sure. Um, but when they ultimately didn't pick us up and I then had the opportunity to go back and redevelop the script in the direction that I originally wanted to go, which was 
a little more mature, uh, darker. Um, the characters can be a little messier in this version than they were in the CW. You know, the, the wisecracking girlfriend is gone. Good. And, you know, that sort of thing. And the blue whale, which was kind of a retro trendy hangout <laughs> for the young people of Collinsport. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> is no longer it's now back to being you know the working fisherman's bar in that's great the village so that's great i had this image of club barnabas you know (laughs) he's a manager of a club (laughs) zombies played the drums you know (laughs) no not quite that far but but i was happy to to be able to redevelop it and and we're excited about the script where it is now that's great. And, but the question becomes like, you know, you sit there and say, well, the CW turned it down. Cause you know, you read it, I'm sure yourself, that it's dead because they turned it down. So now there's nothing happening with it. Obviously this is not correct. Uh, are the streaming services, things like that. Do you think that is a good option? The, the fear of a network is that you go on there and you air three episodes. If the ratings aren't there, they're going to cancel the show and move on to something else. Yeah. Would your preference be to try to get a streaming service involved in this and have them distribute it? Absolutely. Or Okay. Premium cable or a streaming service, I think, would be ideal. Yeah. Um, I think when you can do 10 episodes in a season, you can make 10 really good episodes. And I've been on network shows where we've done 22, 24, and you're making that many 45, 50-minute movies in 10 months out of the year. I always say that network television is like uh, Lucy and Ethel in the Chocolate Factory. Okay, as fast as you can, right? You have to. Some of the episodes are going to be packaged perfectly. Some of them you're going to stuff down your pants. Some of them you're going to eat. But, uh, you know, it's just, and once the conveyor starts, it doesn't stop, you know, unless, of course, you get shut down because of some horrible thing. But um, so, yeah, so I would love to do this. I really want this to be the blue chip premium version of dark shadows you know with with special effects being what they are and you know green screen being what it's what it is um, <laughs> yeah. Hello, dark you know, shadows, green i uh i just think that the the possibilities are unlimited vampires and slayers will be right back as we continue with our classic interview with the original barnabas collins jonathan frid when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How, uh, I'm curious uh, how you got involved in something as bizarre as Dark Shadows, considering your background, and yet you call it playing a vampire. Well, actually, it, it, it carried right through. I think the ground of us is very much anything I've played before. He was, you know, I've often related that to, I played in Macbeth, by the way, once, and uh, there was a great resemblance between Barnabas and, and, uh, and Macbeth, the guilt, was, and Richard's guilt, too, ultimately. But um, I don't like to drag Richard into it in that sense because a lot of people think Richard had no guilt at all. I think he did, but that's not, but certainly Macbeth built on guilt. Yeah. And so is Barnabas built on guilt. No, they're very similar kinds of roles. I mean, they, 
again, you're you're at the outward manifestations. There's not the bizarreness of a bite one, but the character is very much the kind of character I've been playing all my life. And I found it very easy to play. I never ever had, I don't think the director of any one of my directors in Dark Shadows ever had to sit down and worry out a character, our characterization. It was all set before I even started. I knew exactly what had to be done. It was just a question of getting it under my belt, getting the lines down and getting them delivered and playing the values that I wanted to play, the motivations. I never ever had, very seldom in my life, ever had trouble with my heart. It's just getting it under my belt, getting the lines. See, I've spent so much time working out the problems, and I love to work out the problems in characterization. That's what I think acting is. The interesting part of acting is that I don't get right down to the nitty gritty and get the bloody line learned. Because I'm groping around with what each line means and where that could take me, what direction could that line take me. I play and I wipe out possibilities, just like putting these books together. I'll have the whole book laid out one day and then I'll take it all apart the next day. I'll ever get, never get it done. Constantly undoing what I put together, I organize the thing, and then I take it apart to create something new. I know I want to go over this. I want to do this with this scene. No, I don't. No, I don't think that line should be read that way because he's not. He doesn't mean what he says there quite as much as what he means when he says another thing here. And so I'm, I'm constantly taking the material apart. Well, and so it's all in the shambles on the table, like pieces of paper all over the place. And, and, and then I get up the following morning with. Let's find my lines all over the table, so to speak, and I have to get to the studio and, and be in front of cameras in half an hour, and, I, and I've got the whole part all over the place. This is what I used to do night after night after night with the dark couldn't stop it. And I couldn't stop it, it's just in my nature. Yeah. And I, of course, you know, I, this has been one of the tragedies in my life that I've never been able to have a, a, a major role and have months, two months, to work it out. In Richard III, I had, oh, about six weeks but only three weeks of rehearsal, you see. But so that was the longest time I ever had. When I did Macbeth, I was given 10 days notice. Yeah. I had to get that together in 10 days, you see. Well, that's, the great actors have 10 months to be signed, you know. Really advanced. Yeah, so we have time, but um, we never had trouble. So, so to get back to your question, uh, why is such a way out part to just throw it? What was the, how'd you put the question again? Uh, uh, well, I, did I, seem, how did you how did you get involved in it as something as bizarre as Dark It's something bizarre. Well, it's, yeah. it's just, first of all, it's not all that bizarre. I mean, I was well, it's bizarre because everything else I've ever done was bizarre. Yeah. You know, but how I got into it uh, was that first part of the question. Uh, it was, of course, by a sheer accident. I mean, that story's been told many times. I don't really come across it. It bears repeating. But anyway, I was going to. California to teach in 1966. And I went on a tour uh, with Ray Milan, where I was just doing a small part. Uh, but as soon as I was through with that tour, which was to end in Florida, I was going to come up to New York, and I was living in this very building then with another apartment. I was going to come up to New York. Um, get rid of my things, pack my bags, and go out there and take the state exams to become a teacher out there, teaching theater. And uh, my age, I told my agent this before I left on this tour, that when I come back from Florida, I'm going 
going right on out to the coast, and uh, we're, I'm going up to the coast. And uh, but I don't know when I'm coming back from Florida. I don't think I'll stay down there for two or three weeks after the tour anyway. This was in February, January, February '66, and uh, so I did that. I finished this tour in, in, in uh, Florida. It was hostile witness, Ray Milan star, and I finished that tour. And so I had friends down there, so I stayed with them for about three weeks, and then I thought, I'll, I'll come back, I'll go about my business of getting rid of my apartment, going on up the coast. And my telephone was still going. And I got back to New York, got to my apartment door. I was all set to unlock it, my bags in the hall. And uh, my phone was ringing. So I ran to the phone. I left the bags in the hall and I said, hello. Oh, Jonathan, this is uh, um, George Goldsmith, my agent, who I had told I didn't know when I'd be back. And he, yes. he just... He said, uh, he said, I've got something here. I said, George, I told you, I'm going, I'm coming back to New York to get packed. And he said, well, you're not going tomorrow. And I said, no. Obviously, I've got to get rid of the apartment and all the rest of it. But it'll be three or four weeks right, before you're actually gone. I said, yes, but I've not any ideas about coming back into the theater or anything. He said, well, now, there's a part here on a TV show, a soap opera. Now, it, 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 it will, you'd like a little money. Know, extra money to go away with, wouldn't you, and so forth. And I said, yes, I could help pay for the hacking and all that. He said, well, it's a soap opera called Dark Shadows, and they wanted somebody to come on. It's a vampire for two or three episodes. And I said, oh, Christ, well, I suppose I said the same thing as you asked me a while ago. That's all I need now is to play a vampire or something crazy like that. And I said, oh, come on, I, I, that's going to distract me from Well, it's nice money. You know, in those days, it was nice money. Anyway, I said, oh, all right, I'll go on up and try, but, you know, I'll, I'll never get it. It's just, it was a really the thing I didn't want to do was go up there and do not get the part, but waste that time. Yeah. Well, of course, because I was in that attitude, I went up there and got the part, <laughs> and that's how I got it. And uh, so, you know, you know the rest of the story. Yeah, it was just, it was just, uh, just that freaky phone call. And I, if I had been two minutes later, he would have yeah, thought, yeah, well, yeah. he's still in Florida, so forget it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was also curious, to go from being uh, a stage actor mostly yeah. to being thrust into a phenomenon like Dark Shadows became, you know, yeah. uh, being so much in the public eye and everything else. How did you personally deal with that? Was there any problem with you dealing with that in such a phenomenon? Well, first, from the theater to television, although I'd done a little television before, but not on a big scale like that. The camera scared me for a long time. I mean, not the camera, but what it represented. It represented millions of dollars. You know, I was in big business. Right. You know, no fooling. You're in soap opera. You're involved in big business. And I would say my job is to get people to hang into that station to the next set of commercials. You're in there to keep people riveted to that channel until the next. That's to me what television is about anyway. That's why I don't watch it because I hate to be made a sucker. For, for advertisers. And so that's what I had to do. That's all my job was to do. That's the way I held it. And so I was scared by that. And, uh, you know, the millions of dollars are invested in this five minutes of whatever you're going to do there. You better be entertaining for five minutes or, or you're out. So that, that 
aspect of it was being in a multi-million dollar business. You're out of the scale of theater. Certainly out of the scale of Broadway. Well, then, of course, the other aspect of it was the startup. Yeah. As opposed to the acting, and uh, uh, it—I guess I kind of realized what was happening after about two or three months. Although um, I was saved from dwelling on it and becoming a little too big for my boots, because I was so busy with the scripts every day, and um, and I was glad of the security. Well, it wasn't bringing security exactly. Bringing some big bucks for a while. I mean, some good solid bucks, not big bucks, but solid bucks, and uh, and more than I had been making ever. I mean, you know, it was modest when I first that started. But merchandise well, the, well, of course, I never got that. That was a disaster. That part. I never made any money to speak yeah. of out of that merchandise. I mean, where I used to make my extra money was on these junkets on weekends, and they'd send me off to Cincinnati, and I'd pick up fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars in a weekend, which was a lot of money in those days. That was more than I made the whole week or so, but it was a direct result. So I used to go off on these toots, you know, and wear myself out. But I couldn't resist the temptation of going off to Oklahoma City or Omaha or something on a, on a weekend. And I have to come back on Monday morning with a script ready. Let's see, that was. But uh, I, however, I love to do that because of the money and also the ego trip. You know, I enjoyed the ego trip. Who wouldn't? Oh, sure, of course. You know, when you're going down a street in an open car and you hear thousands of din of mobs yelling around the next corner because they, they're anticipating your arrival. And all this. It, was the, it was the time of the Beatles and I was getting just about almost the same treatment as they were getting, you know. And ABC really went to town on this and said, really felt promoted it no end. Uh, it was saving. There was one of their shows that saved their network at that time. They were at the bottom of really? the heap in those days. And uh, that was one of the first things, one of their first successes. It started modestly with Dark Shadows. And why should they entirely about Dark Shadows? But they were involved in that early successes of Dark Shadows with ABC. That was, it finally pulled them up onto a level of NBC and CBS. Was for years, it's been the beginning. NBC was second. NBC, when I was a kid, was always the top one. NBC for years held the top. It's when Rockefeller Center was built, and RCA, NBC, then CBS for many, many years, and then ABC was since 1966. Come up, and now they're on the top of, right up there with ABC and CBS. So, um, anyway, uh, I enjoyed. I enjoyed it. Sure, I enjoyed the success of it. And I suppose I've been, my mother says, you've been resting on your horse ever since. And I suppose in the sense I have. But not in, I hope, not in a, in a, in a snooty holding. It's just that I've felt I had something happen in my life that was, that was memorable. Sure. And um, I, don't, I don't recall it with any great, because uh, it was too hard work. I don't like to work that hard. <laughs> no, it's hard work. And to be a star is an art in itself. It's just as difficult an art as acting. To be a star, I mean, you have to have the right people around you. You have to, you have to tell the right lies at the right time. You have to kid people. You have to maneuver. You have to be this way. You, you have to be. You're, you have to be just perfect, Mr. Perfect, from the time you get up to the time you go to bed. You have no private life at all. I mean, if you if you want to go about your business in the right way, you behave like you should behave at all times. 
I mean, if you if you want the reputation that you're a philanderer and you're out screwing every night, and uh, well, then you play, you do just that. But you have to do it because that's what you should. That's what you're called upon to do. Or if you're if you're meant to be a gentleman and, and you know clean living and all the rest of it, then that's what you have to do. No, someone's going to get, get. So I couldn't um, cope with all that. And uh, and I also I felt too that if I had really made a career out of it and gone and let some big outfit like the MCA or CMA, which was the one that we were supposed to be building at the one time and never came through, I, I've never really been able to blame them because I have a kind of a funny feeling they knew that I wasn't up to it. Because I didn't, for instance, I knew that I had to make a commitment to the occult. I mean, you read these magazines, I have no interest in the occult at all. Yeah, I Or monsters or anything else. I don't watch monster pictures. I don't watch anything. I don't watch vampire pictures. I had to study a little bit about vampirism at the time. I just wanted to have a little familiarity. But I really got it all. I got it all mixed up. And I got. I was going to do a number on it. And I thought, if I'm going to make a career out of this, of course, you see, I've never had to. You see, I've been fortunate enough with another income. No, I don't have to really. I'll never starve. Otherwise, if I had, if I really had to be in the market myself, I probably would have done all this. I would have had to become the honorary president of more occult societies all over the country. I really would have had to get into into vampirism, gone to these outposts. Yes, Patrick. Yeah, I have to. Uh, um, Can we talk to yeah, oh, about how you would be the head of every occult organization. Yeah, yeah, and I just thought, oh, I can't bear it. I just can't bear that the rest of my life. I would have had to become, you know, in, into it all the time. All my pro, all my interviews, all the, you know, everything, you know, the talk shows, like uh, Vincent Price. Although Vincent Price has done it in a kind of an amusing way, but therefore I think he's dissipated his career because you know he's he's never ever taken his horror thing seriously because he doesn't want to. Yeah. Now Bela Lugosi, poor poor man, you know, he died and had his, himself buried in his cave. I mean, I think it was just sad, sad, depressing because he was on drugs and everything. I was just in a whole lot of other ones. I never want to get into that. And uh, of course, I've let my career dissipate in a way, but uh, I'm not through yet. There is just so much more to talk to Mark about when it comes to Dark Shadows reincarnation, which we'll do in our next episode. In the meantime, if you're into superheroes, please check out our Voices from Krypton podcast. For all things classic television, there's TV Retrovision. And of course, please subscribe to the Vampires and Slayers podcast. Tell your friends about us and give us a five-star review. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you after the next sunset.